Before we start the show, I would like to take this time to say we got our very first advertiser super duper excited. So Monica and I are going to cut to our very first commercial. Now you may heard us talking about different products before where we're affiliates, but this, this is a sponsor. This is someone who said, hey, we like what you got going on and we'd like for you to talk a little bit more about our product. So I am super excited to talk about this semi-permanent hair color that I found called Glaze. Hey Monica, you know what? I was thinking the other day that I need I need to cover up my highlights because it's not summer anymore and I want my fall color. I don't know if you feel the same way. Well, I did pick up. I got this new it's new. Like it's new. It's called I hardly gl- ever hear about new product. This was right in the wheelhouse of what I was looking to do. And I've really kind of gotten into having my hair be glossy and I came across this product called Glaze, G L A Z E. What I like is that it doesn't like have any parabens or sulfates and you know me and I know you and we try to reduce that as much as possible like I'll never right. be 100% toxin free. But if I can reduce it I'm going to. Exactly. Well, so I'm looking at their website and I love it because they ask the question, when we say best hair of your life, what do we mean? They mean mirror glaze shine, Mm. extraordinary softness and vibrant color. Who doesn't want that, especially going into the holidays? Well, it seems like everyone needs to go online to glazehair.co and pick out a color using their shade selector quiz and get some just in time for the holidays or special date night, weddings, or just to make yourself feel good for your best hair ever. And right now for our listeners, just use promo code MONICA15. That's monica one five for fifteen percent off your order. Monica, we are starting another episode on one of our favorite binges and or obsessions, true crime. Love true crime. Yes, we both love it a lot in our own ways. And I'm really glad that we have a way to binge it even more. Today, we're going to talk about true crime movies. Now, what I mean by that is when you're watching a movie and at the end it says, based on a true story or events based on a true story, or maybe it doesn't say that. And then the later the writers come out and admit it was inspired by true events. Yeah. And there are so many movies. They're either based solely on one criminal or several. Right. And there are so many different genres of this true crime day. We're going to get into what most people think about when you say the word true crime. And that is some of the icky that's out there. You know, when we were brainstorming this topic, I was thinking, I'm like, I think of true crime movies and books and now podcasts or whole channels. That's what I think of now to get my fix. It could be anything from Tiger King to Lisk, my favorite Wondery podcasts, which range from Dr. Death to even The Rich. And now I'm watching Investigation Discovery on Discovery Plus, and they've got some really great gems but they're more documentaries and we're not really talking about those. No, we're not. We're talking about the fictional 
you know, what I've noticed is a little bit different than I anticipated was the research of even just this, which is fictional, is that researching true crime because I needed to look up some of the crimes versus listening to a podcast or watching Dateline or watching Homicide Hunter, which is one of my favorites, is it's way more grisly when you're the one doing the research. Oh, it really is. It is. It's much different than hearing somebody tell me about it on a podcast. And so I have to give kudos to those people who do this for those people who, if you are a true crime binger, for the people who bring that to you every single week, they're going through something dark in order to give that to you. I remember saying to Monica a few days ago when we were going over this is that I just felt sick to my stomach a little bit. Absolutely. Reading the truth and the fact of the real crimes is far more disturbing than the glossy version that we will find out we end up watching on on TV. And I can't even imagine those who actually look at the crime photos. I can't imagine looking at that. But good news, everyone, we will be doing none of that today. Do not worry about it. So if you're a little bit queasy like me, we are not going to be going into great detail over anything, but you will understand the atrocities, but you're not going to need to know every single grisly detail. So Monica, what's first on deck? Because some of these came about because we were talking about Halloween movies. Yes. So that is where I started a little bit was looking into horror somewhat, which, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. It's horrible. It is horrible. That was a lot for me to look at. What we're going to start off with right now is an introduction into maybe a little bit more of the horrors that inspired films. The number one name that I came across was Ed Gain or Gain or Gine or Jean. I don't know. I think it's pronounced Ed Gain. Oh, I didn't even hit it. Awesome. He is the butcher of Planfield and that is in Wisconsin. And there are many movies based on him. I didn't go so much into movies that were about the actual crimes. Okay. So right. you can find like the movie Deranged. It's a 1974 movie loosely based on the story, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about things that you didn't know were inspired or you kind of hoped they weren't. One of the ones that was inspired by him was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Whoa. I've even seen that movie in part because I'm like, it's totally fake. There's no way I want to scare myself over something fake. Now, a person murdering you with a chainsaw, that part isn't real. But when the butcher of Planfield was caught, they found nine human skin masks in his possession. That's one of many, many things. And we'll talk a little bit more as we go through about the things that he had in his possession. So you haven't seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which looks super creepy to me. And I have watched it. And it is kind of creepy to think of just someone who is totally psycho and has nothing to stop them. The kind of evil that just goes and you know there's nothing that can stop them. For instance, I always say to Zach, 
doesn't matter if you lock the back door, which is pure glass. If there's a psycho, they'll right. just use a hammer to get us. They said, but that's fine. I think we're mainly going to deal with normal criminals, right? Right. So I'm curious what other aspects of Ed Gain as a serial killer they incorporated into Texas Chainsaw Massacre if killing people with a chainsaw isn't something he actually did. Well, in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, he's wearing a face mask made out of skin, which is what Ed did. The movie Psycho, that was also inspired by Ed in his relationship with his mother. As you know, Mm -hmm. if you've seen Psycho, which side note on this, I was reading, Alfred Hitchcock actually made Psycho to be more of a comedy. It was not meant to be as scary and taken as seriously as it was. That's hysterical. So when psychiatrists interviewed him, they suspected that his clothing was made of woman's skin for the purpose of pretending that he was his recently deceased mother. Like my jaw is on the floor right now. So I'll go into some more of that when we get to our next inspiration. But before we move on, another reason that Psycho is inspired by Ed is that he boarded up every room in his house that his mother had used and kept them in pristine condition. And if you remember Psycho, he had his mom up in that attic room and then he let the rest of the house like fall to complete squalor. It sounds spot on, Alfred. But there is another very famous movie in which one of the disgusting, repulsive people in the movie was inspired by Ed as well. And that is Silence of the Lambs. Now, do you want to take a guess on which character? It's Buffalo Bill. Hello. Put the lotion in the basket. Anyone who has seen Silence of the Lambs knows that Buffalo Bill was making a skin suit. And Ed Gain also made a skin suit, which is gross. Ed Gain is not the only one who inspired the character of Buffalo Bill. But I am going to talk just a little bit more about him because it was more than just the meat suit. That sounds gross but Mm -hmm. that's what I would call it, the human suit. So a little bit about Ed Gain. He was a murderer, but he was more grotesque in his body snatching that he did. Now he lived in the late fifties or was caught in the late fifties in Wisconsin. He only had two murder victims though. Whoa. Yeah, that doesn't even qualify. Right. But he dug up like 40 bodies. Now, when I tell you what he did with the skin and the bones of those bodies, he made corsets and leggings. He also used the bodies out of the bodies and the skin. He also made bones to decorate his home and other gross things that I'm actually not going to say out loud because they're that gross. And um, Ed Gain ended up dying in a mental institution in 1984. I did want to let everyone know before we move on that Monica is a total trooper. She has been battling a cold, which turned into laryngitis. And so every single word that she speaks today is a gift to you, I promise. (laughs) So if she sounds a little hoarse at the end of this, that's why. The next serial killer who inspired the character of Buffalo Bill was Gary Heidnick. And what Heidnick 
did was he fashioned a well-like hole in the basement in which he kept his victims. Now, he had six victims that he kept over the course of three years, Monica, but he only murdered two of them. Whoa. His crimes against them and those who survived are so heinous and so sadistic. I can't even hint to you about what they were. I refuse to. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, probably for the best. Right. And I had not heard of him until I looked up Buffalo Bill to see if he was inspired by anybody. And I honestly wish I hadn't run into the details. He died by lethal injection in 1999. Um, Well, Monica, I've had an experience learning about a very sadistic person as well. And I wished I had never listened to the podcast. So I'm not even going to mention it. Well, so I had never heard of Gary Heidnick. And now I'm a little bit curious. But at the same time, I want to talk about Ted Bundy. And I have a weird, a weird fascination with Ted in part because he ended up killing several sorority members of Chi Omega in Florida. Wow, I forgot about that. So we had, we had special rules that were required That's by the national right. organization because of what happened there. Like doors not being open. We had codes. So that was thing number one. But then I eventually lived in Seattle and he terrorized mm-hmm. Seattle. He actually kidnapped and killed a woman. He kidnapped her from Lake Sammamish and I've been there. So Ooh. it's this weird little cross. And then he also started his spree really began at the University of Washington around that campus. Yeah, but didn't he end up in Florida where you're at now? And he and then he ended up in Florida and he also killed people in Colorado. So I find him fascinating because he was very charming and very smart and he would either pretend to be hurt. So how he kidnapped the chick at Lake Sammamish is he pretended to have a broken leg and he needed help getting something into his car. Yeah. And that's exactly the same type of ruse that Buffalo Bill used. Mm -hmm. And so they took that from the Ted Bundy story. Right. How did he die? Is he still alive? Oh God, no. He was given the electric chair in 1984. All these different ways to die. So the fourth person who inspired Buffalo Bill is actually very intriguing to me. His name is Edmund Kemper. Now, the way that he is compared to or inspired Buffalo Bill is that his killing spree began with his grandparents, which is sad, I guess. Honestly, the reason I say I guess is if you ever hear of the horror stories that some of these serial killers endured as children, it's awful doesn't at all excuse what they did when they were of agency and could make up their own minds. But these, some of these people were really tortured. I think that just breaks their ability to reason right from wrong. It's right. able to develop. Right, right. So when I say Edmund Kemper, if you watch Mind Hunter, you are very familiar with this character. But if you don't watch it like me, then you're like, who is Edmund Kemper? He was known as the co-ed killer from the 1970s in California. It was the 70s. Co-eds were being murdered across the nation, obviously. Yeah, it was like from Bundy to Kemper. Yes. And so many others in between the Gainesville Ripper. There's just a lot. So 
but he's very interesting because he is six foot nine. And if you look at any pictures of him, he is towering over people. Like he definitely could have been in pro wrestling and had a career. And he also has a very, very high IQ and people really, really liked him. He was like a teddy bear. And when I say high IQ, he has a 145, which only 2% of the population achieve. He killed his grandparents. Then he was institutionalized until he was 21. He got out when he was 21, tried to become a state trooper, tried to live a normal life, but he just couldn't. And the urge Mm. to pick up hitchhiking women just got to him. He picked up, he said hundreds that he didn't kill, but some he did. And so he killed four women and his crime spree actually ended with the death of his mother, who was extremely abusive to him. And he does say that that is what all the other women were. He was trying to kill things that she would have liked. So, um, so that's how it ended. And he's actually still alive in a California prison. So he's still alive. And they say that he's a model prisoner. His family, however, has asked that he never be released because they said, no, we don't trust that man. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I loved Silence of the Lambs the first time I saw it. And I think imagining or pretending or really just being ignorant of the fact that it was based on real killers made it easier for me to, you know, distance myself from the storyline and the crimes that were being committed. Because once you find out that these things happened, it makes it real. Right. I never, when I watched it, thought of that Buffalo Bill character as being something that could have happened. I just did not. It never crossed my mind. But then as time went by, people said, oh, he was inspired by somebody, you know, as the internet became more more. And this was the first time I ever looked it up and was kind of grossed out that four people inspired it. In a way, glad it took four people to make one horrible movie character. Oh, true. While we were thinking of these movies, Monica, and again, it started with the horror movies, right? Mm -hmm. So I told you about a movie that it took me three times to watch to get through the whole thing. And I could have sworn it was based on a true story. And It's The Strangers with Mm -hmm. Tyler. I was was living alone and it would scare the crap out of me. So I'd turn it off and I'd try it again days later and I kept trying. And eventually I got through the whole thing and it was as terrifying as I thought it would be. Um, I I will say this about that movie. I saw the previews and I was like, no, thank you. Heck no. I cannot see how you went through that. I could not do that to myself. Didn't you say it took you three days to get through it? Three different viewings. Yeah. Well, so the movie was so disturbing to people that some of the viewers attempted to dig up the real life inspiration. And finally, the director later claimed his name's Brian Bertino. He clarified that the movie was partially inspired by the Manson family murders, but it wasn't the only crime that Bertino thought of when writing the screenplay. Okay. Um, it was also inspired by a string of break-ins in his hometown while he was a child. But the majority of it is actually made up. And that's why it's inspired and not based off of true events. Right. When you told me the originally that that was based off of a true story, I thought how horrifying. I still don't even know exactly what happens in that movie, but whatever they did to sell the trailer sold me. I'm not watching it. (laughs) 
Well, the, I think the most disturbing part for me was it's so very random, right? You had this young, good looking couple living in a house. And I, I think maybe they're actually on vacation or like renting the place, you know, and they're just going to have a romantic weekend. And these random people, not to use the word random too many times, but they put on these masks made out of sacks and oh. they literally hunt down the people living in the house and oh. they cannot escape and they just terrorize them and watch do they die them. i think Liv tyler's character eventually escapes it's just yeah it's horrible <laughs> don't watch it you know you're talking about a movie being inspired by events that have happened and not necessarily quite the way that you thought you know oh it's a true story and they've changed some things around but it's more inspired and there is another movie that is inspired by true events but the whole plot isn't based on a true story and that is one of my all-time favorite movies scream i love that movie it was actually inspired by the Gainesville murders, which I mentioned earlier. Danny Rawling, the Gainesville Ripper, he murdered five students over a four-day period in August of 1990. Now, if you know the plot of Scream, that's kind of what happens. Their right. school is being terrorized, and it's over the course of just very short amount of time. It's a spree killing, and spree killings are are usually more rare and scary because they're happening every day. So the writer Kevin Williamson once told when he was being um, interviewed, the inspiration for Scream actually came from watching a TV special about the Gainesville murders. And he noticed that one of the windows in the house was open and he was totally creeped out by that and thought, oh my goodness, how easy would that be for a killer to break in? And then he said he went from being creeped out to completely inspired. And that's how he came up with the plot. Oh, that's fun. You know, when I moved out of my parents' place and got my first job, one of the things I would look for in apartment buildings was that I did not want to be on the first floor. Oh, so smart. That's how I would do whenever I would travel. Mm -hmm. I would not want to be on the first floor if there was access directly to the doors. Yeah, no. And now I'm in a ranch styled house with well, a lot of windows. Awesome. That's a little bit different. I think someone can break in my house and walk up the stairs real easy. There's another movie that I wanted to bring up because a lot of people have wondered, is that based on a true story? And I think that maybe the urban legend was that it was. And that's the movie Fargo, which is a very good movie. I've never seen it. It's very good. I think that you would like it. Now, the only part of it that was really inspired by a true event was the iconic wood chipper scene, Ooh. right? And I don't okay. know if you're familiar with that, but that's how they got rid of the body. And actually, that is how a Danish flight attendant had passed away in Connecticut. Her husband murdered her, and that's how he got rid of the body. And in fact, he was the first ever murder conviction in Connecticut without the victim's oh, body. That's yeah. a good trivia piece. Yeah. So her name was Hell Crafts and it's a very tragic and sad story, but it was just a little blip that had inspired this particular scene for the writers. 
Oh, that's really interesting. So I was talking about spree killers, right? With Scream. Well, there is a very infamous spree killing movie that I think it's infamous anyway. Are you familiar with the movie Natural Born Killers? Yes. That's a great movie. Yes. So that's one I couldn't handle even as a teenager, but my brother loved it. One of my older brothers, it was his favorite movie for a very long time. So that movie was inspired by a killing spree in the late 50s by two teenagers, Charles Starkweather and Carly Ann Fugate. Teenagers? Teenagers in 1958. They were 19 and 14 years old. Wow. Can you believe that? That time, there were no, that they were the first spree killers. Now, that doesn't mean that there weren't killers. That doesn't mean that there weren't serial killers, but a spree where there's a whole mm-hmm. bunch of people at once or in a very short amount of time. So over the course of 10 days, they took nine lives across the country. They took a road trip and killed people, Monica at random, very much like the natural born killers. This crime spree has inspired a lot of movies. So basically what happens is they kill her family. They live in the house with her family for a week before they decide to leave. And then they go on this huge killing spree and then they go out or try to go out Bonnie and Clyde style, but actually end up getting captured. Thank goodness. In 1959, Starkweather, the male, he was electrocuted. Now, Fugate, she was paroled in 1976. Hmm. I wonder what she's up to now. Yeah, I know. She may not even be living, but she was only convicted of being an accomplice. She was only 14. He was 19. I'm sure there's one hell of a dynamic there, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. So it their spree did inspire Badlands, which is a 1974 movie starring Sissy Spacek. And her character was 15. And Martin Sheen's character was 25. Oh, I bet that's a good watch. Oh, I thought it, it definitely looked like it. And then, of course, Natural Born Killers in 1994 mm-hmm. with Woody Harrelson and Juliette Lewis. And then in 1993, just before that, California with a K. It was in 1993. It stars Brad Pitt, Juliette Lewis, David Duchovny, and Michelle Forbes. So basically, this journalist and his photographer girlfriend go on a cross-country trip researching serial killings, but they are car pulling with a psychopath and his childlike girlfriend, if you will, who kill people. Uh, Wow. And then Capote, which I believe you had on your list. So why don't you tell everyone what Capote is about? Yes, I'd love to. So Capote is the story of about a journalist who has an idea to interview a serial killer and character is played by, he does some dark stuff. He's a little bit twisted. He's got a younger brother, good eyebrows. Is it Franco? Yes, Franco. So anyway, so Capote ends up interviewing him over and over and over again, compiling this, what's going to be like a long form article in a magazine. Mm -hmm. And he becomes obsessed. Ooh, yeah. Yep, but Capote is credited with writing the first true crime novel. Yeah, and you know that that is who he was interviewing with Starkweather. 
Oh, yes. I did not know that. It's all coming together. Yes. So now that doesn't mean that that's exactly how he was portrayed in Capote, but that is actually the real story. It's pretty crazy. Mm. It is crazy. So Monica, a lot of these movies I've either heard of, seen, watched numerous times. I was familiar with the fact that you know, it's based on famous serial killers or spree mm-hmm. killers. But one I came across, the movie might be more famous than the murderer. The movie's name is M. It was made in 1931. Oh. And it's based on the vampire of Dusseldorf. And I have a connection to Dusseldorf. Half my family's from there. So Ooh. I thought that was pretty interesting. So before we coined the term serial killer. There were serial killers, right? Oh, I can't even read. I'm sorry. I just read some of the stuff on this. Mm -hmm. I don't want to read it. So the vampire of Dusseldorf, (laughs) his name is Peter Curtin. And his crimes are honestly so horrific. And many of them involve children. So Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go into them. But he terrorized Dusseldorf for several years. And he started basically in 1913. The movie M is now considered required viewing because as a movie, it was so well done. Hmm. I wonder how much of the grisly stuff you have listed here that I don't even, I can't even read the whole sentences of. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, were portrayed in this movie. Quite a few. So now the movie is considered by some to be one of the greatest movies ever made. Fritz Lang M stars Peter Lorre as a child killer who stalks the street of pre-World War II Berlin. While is, M is now required viewing for film classes. Is this a German film or a an American film? I believe it's a German film. Okay. Um, but it, it's required viewing because of Lang's innovative directorial style. Uh, and it was extremely controversial because of how much was taken from the real life killer. Oh, I know. I mean, this guy does it all. Animals, children, mm-hmm. women, mm-hmm. and he gets released. It looks like what he yes, does. He did. Arson. First, that gets me with some of these stories is how often these people get released. Mm -hmm. One one note that I thought was very interesting is that the movie M, the movie was released while Peter Curtin was awaiting execution. Oh, right. But that was a box office hit. Right. According to this article, um, audiences were still very raw about it, especially when you consider how many children he killed. Oh. Oh, cannibalism. Yep. I mean, this dude has it all. Oh, yeah. He's like the OG of spree killers and serial killers. He's he's all of the ones that we've talked about wrapped up. He sounds worse than the very infamous man from across the pond. The yet identified Jack the Ripper. He sounds a million times worse than that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we're going to end on a lighter note here of no cannibalism, still murder. <laughs> okay. Still yeah, murder. No, we've taken it from a hundred <laughs> back down to 50. Right. So there was a movie that I came across and I thought, oh, Monica would like this movie a lot. I actually watched the trailer for it and it was fantastic. And that movie is the 2010 film starring Ryan Gosling, Kirsten Dunst, and Frank Langella called All Good Things. Are I've you not f- heard of this? Me 
either. Now, what's really interesting about it is I know that I said we weren't doing, you know, kind of the true crime Mm -hmm. with white collar or mob bosses or any of that type of stuff. And it's not really that. Although this man, his name is Robert Allen Durst, and he is a real estate heir from New York. Yes. So his dad gave him a hundred million dollars to get out of his life. So (laughs) I wish my parents hated me that much. (laughs) Right. Right. So that's because he is quite a piece of work. So this movie, all good things is about the disappearance of his wife in 1980. To. The dad character played by Frank Langella is, of course, very sinister, but I don't know that he is the bad guy. And it's all about how he kind of loses his mind and doesn't know where his wife is, but he's totally innocent. Well, Robert Durst, just in September, just mm-hmm of this year was convicted, not of killing his wife, of killing his longtime friend. Her name was Susan Berman. And so he got off and was not convicted though in 2001 of killing his neighbor, Morris Black. He was actually acquitted. Now it is Texas. So they have the law. It um, might be where you could kill someone on your property. Yes. So I guess that his neighbor was being mouthy. So he shot him in his face. Okay. Well, right. So and killed him, but they, but he got acquitted y'all. He got acquitted even though he tampered with evidence and he dismembered black and dumped his body parts in the Galveston Bay. Okay. That, that sounds like a lot more manslaughtery man. I'm protecting my home. Absolutely. But he used some of that hundred million dollar daddy shut up money that he got get out of my face, use this hundred million dollars any way you please kill someone, buy a house, get a ranch in Montana. I don't care. (laughs) Well, I remember first hearing about Robert Durst with the HBO documentary. Yes. Yes. And everyone's like, oh my God, he just confessed on a hot mic. He went to the bathroom, started talking to himself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Insane. Oh man. Yeah. And he is also linked to the disappearance of an 18 year old girl in 1971 and a 16 year old girl in 1997. So he is suspected by experts to actually be a serial killer who may have other victims that you just wouldn't know about because of his lifestyle and who he was. And you know, the seventies. (laughs) <laughs> and the 70s. Oh, to be a serial killer in the 70s. The glory days. Great. I mean, now you've got cameras and security and credit cards and cell phones. Yeah, you got to try a lot harder. <laughs> a lot harder. It's not the lucrative job it used to be. Oh, well, I thought that was super fun, Mon. So I hope that we entertained you today. I hope that we what your whistle a little bit for more to come. This is a series. We're going to do several episodes on true crime, uh, but we're still going to keep it very two Monica's in a microphone podcast style. Uh, That means it's going to be real. It's going to be relatable and it's going to be entertaining. That's right. Up next, we have high end heists. So people get high when they rob you. No high end Okay, so yeah, high end, high (laughs) end heists, you know, like jewelry theft, theft, all the pretty shiny things that can be stolen from someone's house. 
Thanks so much for letting us be part of your day, whether that's folding socks, driving to work, or getting in your cardio. We're happy to provide you with some entertainment about nothing serious, seriously. For extended show notes, please head over to our website, twomonicaspodcast.com. That's with the number two. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Two Monica's Podcast and find us on Pinterest at Two Monica's Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us directly, email us at Two Monica's Podcast at gmail.com. Awesome. That was fun. Got to give some musical shout out credits to the wonderful and amazing Kevin MacLeod for Spring Thaw, The Small, Blue Feather, and Hitman.